Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Hayward. FuturePod gathers voices from the international field of futures and foresight. Through a series of interviews, the founders of the field and the emerging leaders share their stories, tools and experiences. Please visit futurepod.org for further information about this podcast series. Today, our guest is Donna DuPont. Donna is the founder of Purple Compass, a strategic foresight and design consultancy which operates at the intersection of disaster risk management and sustainable development. Prior to Purple Compass, Donna held a variety of senior roles within Ontario's Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care in both healthcare and emergency management. She also worked on the front lines as a registered respiratory therapist during the SARS crisis. Donna received a Masters of Design in Strategic Foresight and Innovation at OCAD University. Donna's aim is to collaborate with communities and organisations and use strategic foresight and design methods to empower and strengthen local capacity, health services, public safety and security. Welcome to FuturePod, Donna. Thank you. Um, pleasure to be part of this podcast. Thanks for participating, Donna. Question one, what's the Donna DuPont story of how you became a member of the Futures and Foresight community? It's an interesting question because I've been reflecting on that for the last year in terms of my, my journey into futures. It started a few years ago when I was working for the Ministry of Health and I was doing a lot of work in healthcare around policy, strategic planning and program design. And it was an opportunity for me to work with leaders that were really focused on creating a better future. So in that space, I really exposed to people who were very forward thinking. We didn't always have the methodologies to shape you know, or to engage with, you know, how to create that future. But we worked with more of the traditional methods, strategy and planning. And but there was a lot of interest in, in how we can shape and how we can design something better, um, better outcomes for the future, better, better health um, outcomes for the population. I brought that mindset with me when I joined the emergency management branch back in 2011. And that was within the Ministry of Health. And a lot of my role in that time was around in the planning section, really just working on mitigation, preparedness, planning to ensure that we are able to respond in emergencies. So within emergency management, it's an interesting profession because there's times of peace when there's no emergencies and we can do some of this planning work, both short and long term. Yep. But in an emergency, in a crisis, the resources get mobilized into an operation center. And so I end up taking a planning role, sometimes the planning chief, in an operations center where you're responding in real time to a crisis. And so in that role, a lot of times as a planning chief, you would have to anticipate in very short windows about what you're seeing, changing in the system in real time, issues that are emerging. And all of that is to inform new direction for the command to activate resources and operations. Yeah. So you're working in very short windows. And I remember after a number of experiences and emergencies, I, I recall um, noticing the patterns kept repeating. And we see a lot of common issues come up. And I started to think to myself, well, what if we can anticipate 
in in longer time periods mm. like how incredible would that be because think of all the things we could do <laughs> <laughs> and that started this whole series of well what types of tools what types of methods are out there that could support this that could help navigate this complexity and help us work with longer time horizons and those questions led me to many conversations and uh, and one of those conversations was with a neighbor of mine who was studying uh, strategic foresight and innovation at OCAD University ah. and it was the first time i had heard of any such um, program and i was very interested and from that moment i felt a, a deep connection to wanting to learn about foresight strategic foresight and its application to the work that I was doing. And, and through my research, I start, uncovered, um, you know, the FEMA strategic foresight initiative and all the horizon scanning work they were doing and, yep. and, and how they were translating it back to the field. And, and I just became very excited in 2015, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to study, you know, I'm going to go to OCAD and I'm going to study strategic foresight and, and learn about this field. And so it's been wonderful because um, that program really helped me. It um, opened up the door to understanding just not only foresight, but a broad range of design methodologies. Yep. And it's opened up a lot of opportunities to meet people, um, to volunteer. And I've, I've been fortunate because um, I've, I've met some wonderful people. Um, had an opportunity to volunteer with the International Federation Red Cross. They have um, a Futures and Foresight Academy. And, and Donnie Sweeney was the futurist yep. there at that time. And it was wonderful because I got to collaborate and work with him and, and learn about the practical application, the use of foresight within the humanitarian space. And since then, I've been a part of a variety of different community practice. So I'm also um, connected to the military design community practice. And I'm also connected to the Action Foresight Global Swarm which is um, a community, um, futurist community, where we collaborate on various projects together. So it's, it's been wonderful and slowly building more connections and, and learning from my colleagues. Wow. You would have been working for territory government level organisation in Ontario, is that right? Yes. It would be public sector. Yes. And then as I've, you've now segued out of that, role into more of a kind of standalone consultancy or create your own business mm -hmm. in this space that's purple compass was that a straightforward thing to do no not at all it was was i think it was a decision that took many years to arrive at that you know that decision to launch purple compass however i found working within government structure. I, I worked in government for about 12 years and I was part of a lot of amazing projects, but I felt that I needed to, to shift, especially as I was studying um, strategic foresight, design. I really wanted to start a new chapter. And at the time, there was really not a lot of opportunities to apply foresight within emergency management. So I had decided to resign <laughs> from, <laughs> from the government and really just take some time off to explore and to learn and to connect and just see what the next chapter holds for me. So it was a big, I guess it would be a, a, probably a big risk to some, but I, I was ready for the change. Yeah. So I just created the space for it. 
during that time, I, I did a lot of work. I volunteered and I got involved and met a lot of people. Those connections opened up some interesting projects for me in healthcare and with the military. And, and that was the start of the launch. Yeah, I've taught a lot of people foresight and your story about them being you know, embedded in a public service organization, doing work at the level of community and then finding foresight as an internal set of tools, but then they're caught with the dilemma of do I do I stay in the government organization or do I then branch out? And mm-hmm. is there anything you can say about anyone listening who's kind of in a similar boat to you that they're kind of in an organization but wondering if they step out? Anything you could say about how they best go about it just at, at a general level? Well, I would well, don't make a rush decision. Um, it's it is something that you know, once you step away, it's you have to be prepared for a bit of rediscovery and almost like a reorientation of of a new path. Yeah. And I think you need to be prepared for that mentally and that maybe, you know, things might not go the way you had imagined. But I think if you're open to opportunity and if you are willing to show up and say yes to new experiences or meeting new people, I think then it opens up a whole world of opportunities that you could have never imagined before. And, and that's been my experience. Oh, yeah. Good. But, it, you know, before you step away, I think you need to feel comfortable and confident inside that's the right direction and you're willing to take that journey. Yeah. Thanks, Donna. Question two, Donna, the one I encourage the guest to talk to the listeners about a tool or framework or approach that is that is central to their practice, but also to talk to them as fellow professionals about how you might use the tool or framework, how you might set it up, that kind of thing, and also where, that, where people uh, might go to find out more about it. So what do you want to talk about? Well, one of my favorite tools, I have many of them, but but one that I use quite regularly comes from the field of design. And I focus um, a fair bit on human-centered design. Yep. I think it's so important, especially in the work that I do in emergency management, healthcare, people are at the center of everything and, and the reason why we do what we do. So there, it's so important to um, to be able to be able to understand their perspective. And so there's wonderful tools within human-centered design, such as empathy mapping, Mm. where you can really explore a perspective from a particular stakeholder. And you you can try to, if you don't have the information, like if you're not able to interview or speak to people, you can at least try to put yourself in their shoes and to in, in a particular situation or context that you're exploring and really start to think about from their perspective, how are they feeling about the current situation? You know, what are they thinking? What are they saying? What are they doing? What are they hearing? And by exploring it from these different dimensions, from the individual's perspective, you, you gain insight into how they are experiencing a current situation. And from that, you can further extract some of the needs that they may have, or maybe some additional wants or gains that would be of benefit to them. 
So I love to do that. And I like to do it across different stakeholders, maybe three, four, to really gather that information and then to be able to understand it from the individual, but then understand it from like a stakeholder matrix perspective, where then you can look across the different stakeholders, you can map in a matrix kind of some of their needs, their wants, and you can see commonality between the different stakeholders. And I like to zone in on that because then it becomes an opportunity to create value through design because you have a value proposition there. And if you are able to meet those needs, that can be a powerful starting point for solutions. Yeah, I would imagine, especially in this emergency situation, you've got really both the people who are in a very vulnerable state where understanding their, you know, their state, their needs is central. But then I can also imagine from the point of view of the first providers or the people who are on the ground, they've also got their own set of emotions uh, kicking in, everything from them, you know, potentially feeling like, you know, they're a hero or they've got to save a situation. You're absolutely right. It's, you're, you will definitely, within emergency management, see very different perspectives from the different stakeholder groups. And we do have a growing vulnerable populations, you know, throughout, even in Canada. And, and to understand their experience or what we, you know, um, or their perspective is, is crucial. And, and sometimes we can't do it in an emergency because, I mean, things are, we're in crisis mode and we just have to contain risk and address the issue. But to do this type of exercise when we are in peacetime, <laughs> yeah. where there's no emergency, where we can think about it and then we can think about how we could design more strategies or approaches or uh, models that are connecting to communities that really meet their needs in a different way. Sometimes the manner in which we approach disasters can be very alarming for people, depending on their previous experience. Mm. And I'm thinking specifically of examples from, you know, Indigenous communities. And so it's, this is becoming more and more important to, to understand the perspective of different populations and even to understand the perspective of our first responders and the stress that they experience in, in these types of situations and to be more proactive in the way we plan for it. If a person is, is listening and interested to find out more about a thing like empathy mapping and that sort of thing, have you got any suggestions as to where they might go or how they, or how they might research that? Well, there'll be some links on my page that I'm um, happy to provide so that people can link to and for more information. Is it a tool that, that you know, someone who's uh, used to working as a group facilitator or a, or a process designer can pick the tools up pretty readily? I think so. I think it's, it's quite intuitive and think that I think it depends on what you're working on. So if you're working on a design problem or there's multiple stakeholders and you really want to focus in on the value and the proposition, understanding what your the problem space. I think it's a great tool for that. And it's quite easy to learn and to use. The thing I'm hearing you say is that if you have a, a client who is in this kind of space, it really is asking the client to invest the time to prepare for the next emergency and to really design a better outcome for both their the people who depend on them, as well as their service providers. 
Yes, these these types of tools, whether it's foresight, futures, or design, sits within the um, the planning space within the emergency management cycle. It's a matter of communicating the value of these tools and how they can plug in to um, to advance preparedness or planning and to help with those cycles because emergency management, they do go through cycles after a crisis, they recover and there are lessons learned that are mined and extracted. And the idea is to move those lessons learned into forward planning or strategies. So, so there's an opportunity on that side of the cycle to be able to integrate some of these pieces within the, um, the planning cycle. Thanks, Donna. Third question, Donna, is the one I ask you to really explain how Donna DuPont sees the emerging futures around her, both what are you seeing and emerging and anticipating? So how does Donna DuPont sense the emerging futures? Well, given the space I work in with the emergency management lens that I have, it's an interesting mix because I see, you know, the turbulence, I see the rising disruption with with climate change as being this mega trend that's creating a lot of accelerations in extreme weather events. And this is what people in communities are experiencing, this type of change with climate change. And and I see professionals on the front line of these events and communities who are vulnerable that are are trying to cope or adapt or perhaps they don't have the capacity and and seeing the social and economic impacts. And, and when I see this, I pay very close attention to those types of trends that are shifting in the environment and what that means at the local level. But I also feel very passionate about the importance of the field of emergency management to learn about foresight and how it can support them on their, their journey from crisis response towards building more resiliency and creating a a better future. So it really, when I see what's unfolding with the turbulence and disruption in the environment, it it gives me the motivation and the strength to continue sharing and educating with my colleagues in emergency management. I see myself as this bridge between the two professions. It's about finding the language from the futures that emergency managers can understand and can integrate into their work to advance the important actions they need to take on moving into the future. That's where my focus is a lot these days. And so it's a lot on mitigation, climate change adaptation, and really designing for maybe possible transformation if there's an opportunity to do that. As you know, Australia's just been through probably one of its worst bushfire seasons in a long time. Mm -hmm. And we've seen damage done on a scale that seems to be uh, at a level above what what we would normally see. We're also, as we're sitting here talking now, we're watching the probable unfolding of the next great pandemic. We see tremendous change and challenge out there. Where do you find your sources of hope? that we can actually build resilient communities and capacities in the face of these challenges? Hmm. I get my hope 
when I see the stories of resiliency and I see how people put themselves on the line to really support or to to help others selflessly. And um, that's a hard question to answer. I mean, we don't always have hope. Stuart Candy referred to one of the aspects of our vocation is what he calls the emotional burden of doing this work. Mm-hmm. If we are the people who, and as you describe yourself, if you're a bridge between the emergency management people and foresight, then that does require that you do some of the hard labour to really imagine of what yeah. of what could be coming. And then, of course, from that, bridge that over to how you help the other people. Mm-hmm. As Stuart refers to it, the emotional burden of doing that. I mean, how do you manage that? Yeah. I think I'm learning that <laughs> <laughs> day by day, honestly. I think on a personal level, I have a strong practice, a personal practice where I try to stay very grounded and focused and very clear on where I can contribute and and support and look for opportunities within the structures to be able to to support and to to help share but i i understand the position that you've you've articulated there because it's something that for me i am experiencing right now and i think i'm you know just exploring how how do i maintain this within the space so I I think there's more I'll probably be able able to answer that (laughs) more clearly over the next few years as I'm on this journey it's a very new journey for me and and so for me I still have a lot of push through and to maintain hope however I think over time I might need to connect with others to understand their experience and to find other ways to ensure that I'm able to maintain that over the long term. Yeah. Yeah. I know when Stuart raised it, he actually spoke to it, I think at a conference in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And because he said he wanted to he wanted to have the conversation with his community around this notion of the of the emotional burden of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. And the necessity of the emotional burden mm-hmm. and to put it on the table for the community to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's it's an important topic to talk about because I, you know it's funny I, I never really thought of it that way until you described it like that and I think you're absolutely right there is you know with some of the topics that I deal with on a day-to-day basis there is a very heavy emotional burden and so I think there's it's important to talk about this and, and to share about how we are as a community supporting each other and and how we can ensure that we are at a personal level maintaining the ability to to manage that. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Donna. Fourth question is the one, I always got asked this one by students fairly early in the course of how do you explain what you do to people who don't necessarily understand what it is you do. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it usually comes up when people ask me, you know, 
the work type of work I do and I explain it, there's always very funny face that's made and <laughs> a little bit they they don't really understand the term futurist a lot of people think futurist uh, predicts the future and and so I, I tend to not use that term too much because I, I work in a community that's very predictive analytics focused yeah. and really outcome oriented and and so I, I try to explain it in terms of a leadership capability. Uh, and it really is a, you know, a mindset and a skill set that allows us to explore possibilities of how we can shape the future over the long term. And I love this concept of shaping the future. I think that many people are very busy day to day reacting to their environment. And they have a lot of tasks and lists and things to get done, crossed off, and not too many people have think about how they're shaping their future and that how do you how do you approach it and what that means. So I tend to explain it from that perspective and then speak of it in terms of a system where you're exploring the broader dynamics of the system and looking at you know trends, emerging issues, risks that may converge and cause disruption. So it, it's really going beyond probabilities, which is a big focus within emergency management and looking at um, potentiality. What, are, what if people are either skeptical or think that you're just making it more complicated than necessarily it needs to be? What do you do in the face of that response? Well, hmm. You know, it's funny, I haven't really gotten that response yet Good. from someone, which is interesting. Um, I think I think the people that I've been engaging so far have been really curious. Right. And they've been wanting to understand, you know, the difference between some of the work they do that's very forecasting oriented or outcome oriented and what foresight yeah. is and how they can use that. And, and I, I, because I also speak of it in terms of navigating complexity and uncertainty, I think it creates some curiosity about how we use certain methodologies like future scenarios to have a different kind of conversation. Right. And to really you know, poke at the uncertainty that many times uh, professionals don't get an opportunity to talk about. So, so far I haven't had that that kind of resistance, but it's been most of my role to date. A, a lot of it has been around education. I have been working with some clients using the methods, but there's still a lot of education attached to it. And I find that once you know clients have experienced it a little bit, they they are more open. They have more of an understanding of what futures and foresight is about. Yeah. I mean, I've had a number of people who've been in the field for quite a while um, have saying that I'm now getting less of those responses than I used to get. And it may be that there's been enough body slams to business as usual right. that people no longer think that business as usual is going to cut it. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I agree. And there is a lot more literature and articles available if people want to learn about strategic foresight there's there's lots yep. out there that explain it at a very 
basic level. And so I think the interest is, is growing, which I'm, I'm excited about that. Good. Thanks, Donna. So last question, Donna, do you want to tell the listeners a bit about Purple Compass? Sure. So Purple Compass is, we're a strategic planning company, but we focus on foresight and design. We're in startup mode and we're a B2B network-based model. So what that means is we're working with various partners within our network that want to integrate strategic foresight and design into their routine offering of services to their clients. Our work is really focused on disaster risk management, sustainable development. So it's at the intersection between three very important global frameworks, the Sendai framework for disaster risk reduction, the sustainable development goals of the Paris Agreement. And at the intersection of all of that, of the, you know, frameworks, those global frameworks is movement towards this evolutionary paradigm of resiliency. So that's been a big part of our work. And we are industry focused and we support uh, sectors like emergency management and uh, healthcare, critical infrastructure, as well as the mining sector. Right. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of changes happening in that sector too around sustainability. On the website, there's a number of people that you is Purple Compass. Are they employees or are they partners? Are you a network? I mean, you said you're a B2B. Are you really a network organization? Yes. So we are building the network, right? So so how it works is as startup, we have a number of members of Purple Compass, a few few futurists are an associate type of role. So as projects come up, we collaborate in different ways and we connect in with networks. So the networks I'm connected with are more in the fields of emergency management. Um, They're in the fields of mining, part of the Artemis group, which is a collection of women founded businesses focusing on sustainability and mining. So connecting with all of these sub networks as our group, we collaborate in different ways to be able to share foresight and futures as the interest grows across the network. So it's a very new model. It's still, we're in startup mode. So we're still building those networks and those relationships. And there's a lot of education and there's a lot of understanding how to integrate. It's been, um, it's been a really interesting journey in the last, last year since we've really move towards a networked based approach. Yep. And I would imagine over the next, you know, couple of years it's going to dramatically shift as well. So I'm excited about this approach because it really allows me to to meet and to connect and to work with many different people that may be interested in in futures and foresight. And this provides an opportunity through the network to ask the questions that they may not have asked before. Good. And I would imagine if people wanted to know more about the network or how it worked, then there'll be, you're open to hear from anyone who's interested in talking to you. Oh, yes, absolutely. Love feedback and love to uh, to get questions in terms of how the network functions and, and even potential opportunities 
moving into the future. Yeah. And did you want to talk about the lab? Yes. So Purple Compass just uh, recently launched the Emergency Management Futures Lab. And this is a, a, a new model that we launched and it was designed based on research from, from the disaster risk reduction literature, from the futures literature, and even experience from emergency managers that have explored the use of strategic foresight in the past. So a lot of the recommendations from this research, I was able to assemble into the beginning stage of what is now the Emergency Management Futures Lab. And so we have a process where it's a three-step process where there's a bit of an assessment of, of understanding uh, just the client and where they're at in terms of their needs, uh, their understanding of futures, um, their use of it in the past, and current risk and perspectives. And then it gets into a bit of action learning and just understanding some of that past experience and being able to have those conversations to mine that information to move forward. And then this the last part is a series of different workshops that really come from the literature that are useful to support the field in different ways. And it's just, uh, at this point, it's a starting point of different workshops to be able to start to engage the community on different ways that futures and design can be used. So it helps them as they're going through the list to understand um, what's available. Many times when you have a list of options, I find that um, what was happening is a lot of professionals would be interested, but they didn't know what to ask. They didn't know what options were available to them or how the different methods could be integrated in different ways, depending on what they're looking to achieve. So this was an attempt to try to put them into uh, different workshop formats to help with that um, understanding. And, uh, And hopefully as emergency managers or different stakeholders that we work with look at them, they will see see opportunities for, for one or several of the workshops to support their work, or it might stimulate additional questions. Mm. And again, happy to, to take those questions to understand um, their needs. And so I see this as an evolving process where as I get more feedback, I'm able to continue to evolve series of workshops that are available to support the needs of the profession. As I hear it, it's both obviously uh, professionals can come into the lab, so to speak, to see what's out there, to see what's available. Mm-hmm. I would imagine also the professionals can also talk to one another or even even actually talk amongst themselves without necessarily talking to, to people like yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It can definitely generate some dialogue within the community around the use of it and connect. I mean, eventually I would love to, for it to expand, to, to build a, a community of practice yeah. Um, and a network around it. And maybe that's something um, down the road to explore. Sounds very exciting. Yeah, thank you. I mean, are we talking about a platform or are you talking about something that's digital or are you talking about something that's actually digital and physical at the same time? I think a little bit of both. I would love to have something both digital and physical. So physical probably could look like events. 
So to create events where people can come together and perhaps explore futures and foresight in a different way through more of a community type setting for the, for the professions that we, uh, we focus on. So that's one way to introduce and to perhaps build dialogue. The second way could be through a platform, possibly, and it could be about sharing experiences, case studies, you know, who knows, like there could be lots of other potential ways to, to build that network. And the beauty of a platform is it can be scaled. So you would have to, um, I mean, the network would be, it would function a little bit differently in terms of the connection that might, um, instead of in person, it's a very different type of engagement, but certainly there is opportunity to explore how we can create a platform that that creates that sense of community and sharing in almost a global way would be exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Tanya Schindler, who's uh, got a podcast, she's creating a a global network. She's aiming at freelancer futurists, particularly in Germany, but she's built her own platform called Future Space. Oh, nice. You could certainly reach out to Tanya and see what her, uh, see what she's learned in that journey. I will. Thank you for that. Yes. I might wrap this. Uh, Donna, on behalf of the FuturePod community, uh, thanks for taking some time out to talk about you and your work, your important work. And um, I wish you well and I wish you lots of work, but I also wish the world less emergencies that we need uh, necessarily uh, good emergency management responses. But I think the the pragmatist in me tells me that we've got a lot more work for you coming up in the future. There's a lot more work to do. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be part of the podcast and to, to share a bit about um, the work that I do and, and the field that I'm, you know, the fields I'm passionate about um, and that intersection between emergency management and futures. So I appreciate the opportunity. This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.